Coming up on today's episode of Green Tag Theme Park in 30, crowds continue to swell at megafall events, leading to more accidents. We dive into the incident report from Glenwood Caverns and the fighting at Six Flags properties, then discuss how attractions are responding. From the Haunted Attraction Network, I'm Philip, and this is day 34 of our 61-day Hauntathon counting down to Halloween. Today is Monday, October 4th, and there are 27 days until Halloween. The best way you can support us this Halloween season is by sharing our Hauntathon with someone you think will enjoy it. And to follow along to our Hauntathon, sign up to our weekly newsletter at hauntedattractionnetwork.com. And now here's Green Tag to Theme Park in 30 with Scott Swenson and I. From our studios in Los Angeles and Philadelphia, <laughs> this is Green Tag Theme Park in 30. I'm Philip, and I'm joined by my co-host who just mounted a new spooky show at the Franklin Institute, Scott Swenson. Yep, I'm here. I'm actually here in my hotel room in Philadelphia. And um, yes, Franklin Institute, Franklin Fright uh, just opened this weekend, and it is a very family-friendly, spooky show for a really cool science museum. So if you happen to be in the Philadelphia area and you've got some uh, some younger boils and ghouls, um, head on over. It is the weekends now through uh, through Halloween, So, and you can meet, meet my newest friend uh, from the future, Dr. Victoria Franklinstein, and her creation made entirely of pumpkins and it's 12 feet tall so it's pretty cool so uh it's it's a fun it's a fun way you can also do a little trick-or-treating around the museum um but it is byo bag bring your own bag and uh and the little guys can trick-or-treat at various uh knock knock doors around the museum so it's a it's a fun event but that's not what we're here to talk about um i don't know that sounds pretty great to me (laughs) it's a lot of fun i mean you know it's funny because i've done so much so much uh blood guts and gore stuff in my past that it's really refreshing. And I know there are some people who are thinking, oh, Scott, you've clearly sold out. You're doing family friendly. Um, it's not all I'm doing. But um, it, the, the truth of the matter is it's a great palate cleanser and it really is training yeah. the next, it's the next generation of haunters. So, um, And as we will talk about later in the show, there's money to be made in the family friendly uh, programming. And especially this time of year, but we'll get to that yes. in just a minute. And we'll get to that. So our first story is an update on the tragedy at Glenwood Caverns. We did not originally bring up this story, even though it was big news, and that's because there wasn't really much to talk about other than it's a terrible accident. But now we have the full report out, and uh, I guess what I will summarize here, I'll put it in the show notes, but to summarize, what happened is the the girl was basically sitting on top of her seatbelt when the ride went off, and that is why it happened. And what happened is the, there, okay, so basically the police department is blaming a lack of understanding of the human machine interface, a screen error conditions on the control panel, and a failure to ensure proper utilization of passenger restraint systems. But to walk you through what happened, basically the ride operator went through and they, he didn't cycle her seat and then they came on, they loaded the ride and then it gave an, the, the machine, you know, the ride operating system gave an error saying that seat hadn't, you know, that something hadn't been cycled. So they went through and like tried to recycle everything, but they didn't like check to see that she was like, she basically was just sitting on top of it and was just holding it. And they didn't check that to see that she was on top of it and just holding the, the top of the strap. And so even though the machine, the, the ride didn't, wouldn't launch because that there was a seat that hadn't been cycled, they thought they like misinterpreted that error basically. And so they like overrode it and ran the ride vehicle anyway. Um, and they didn't, I guess they just didn't check. 
you know, they, again, we don't have that much detail, but basically that's what happened. It, the seat wasn't cycled, the machine stopped, they went through and did another check and they reset all the other empty ones. And then they were like, they overrode it because um, they couldn't figure out, you know, they thought it was a different error, whatever. And so basically the police report is then saying that, yeah, the it's, there are several ride errors by ride operators, particularly inadequate training and lack of understanding of the human machine interface is what caused it. But yeah, so that's kind of the details of the story. Yeah, you know, and again, my time in theme park is primarily in the entertainment side, but I do know a lot of people who are in ride ops and I know a lot of supervisors and a lot of senior managers who I worked side by side with um, who were in the operations side and specifically when it comes to rides. The unfortunate thing is, you know, something like this should never, ever happen. And it's it's really, really difficult, um, especially on the people who run these rides, because, again, you're doing the same thing over and over and over again. And I'm not making excuses. I am not, you know, reducing. What I'm really doing is elevating the importance of these people. And yes. that should be made clear during their training, um, during their um during their training, during their reviews. And I'm even going to go so far as to say it should be reflected in their pay scale because these people are literally taking people's lives in their hands. And this was, you know, clearly a situation where the redundancy factor did not work. You know, there's supposed to be a physical check and a computer check and a, you know, a, a board check to make sure that as Philip was explaining, the seats haven't been recycled or had been recycled and we're, and we're ready to re be reset and ready to go. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's a terrible thing and it's, but it is one of those things that if you do work in a theme park, I will tell you that there are every theme park I've ever worked in both as a, an, uh, an employee and as a contractor, there's always this sort of perceived hierarchy um, within the, yes. the different departments and, and to put operations and ride ops lower in that hierarchy than anywhere else is a mistake. So, you know, what this means is, uh, these, these people need to be elevated and that means they need to, their training needs to be elevated. The responsibility and their, um, the people that are hired needs to be elevated. And I hesitate to say, and this situation, situations like this sort of suggest it, even their pay should be reviewed. I won't even say elevated. I would say reviewed because again, this is one incident. You know, there are, uh, there are a bunch of people, thousands and thousands and thousands of people who are riding on, on similar rides and they, they get through them and they have a great time. Um, but I think it's, I just think that when we have incidents like this, it reminds us that um, the, the frontline ride ops people are, they're they need to be responsible they need to be um trained to be responsible and no matter how annoying it is that they're running by and checking every every seat belt they need to do it and i don't care what the guests say and you know if you are a guest in a theme park because we do have some fans who listen who aren't involved if you are a guest in a theme park encourage them to check your seat belt yeah Ask this, them is to check your seat belt. yeah this is why yeah this is why this is why yeah, th th this is why this is why when they're like, please raise both of your arms <laughs> and, you know, please. And they, they you need to see that they basically the curve of the belt on both sides kind of goes over the person's waist. So they know that it's it's attached. And again, this is another reason why there are these seat cycles built in so that you can draw draws attention to something that hasn't been cycled properly. Right. You know, um, 
it also it, it it's you know this is it it does I love your point Scott because it is very difficult. It's very difficult to perform the same series of tasks every single time correctly. It's the same thing with like pilots on airplanes and and doctors in hospitals and you you end up having to make a checklist because that's the only way the human brain can kind of do we're not robots and we need like the it, you know it it is uh, more, much more difficult to do the same thing over and over and over, and it's so critical. And then also dealing with the guest in terms of, I'm sure, as you mentioned too, there's always a situation where the person is like, "This is stupid. Can't you see I'm wearing it?" And it's like, "Well, maybe you can't see that they're wearing it." And me, you know, man, like that's you know, you know, it it is underscoring that. And then also the training too. We've talked a lot about how we're needing to rehire all these right operators. They, you know, it's, this is exactly why it is difficult to restart the industry is because mm -hmm. it isn't just a matter of sticking a warm body there to press buttons. Well, and you know, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned pilots too, Philip, because pilots have to have a certain amount of downtime uh, yeah. between, you know, either between flights or between shifts. I don't know exactly how that works because I'm not a pilot, but I do know that that, that that is part of the scheduling process. Maybe the same is true with ride operators. Maybe there needs to be um, a, a, an evaluation of how to best cycle the staff that you have so that they are always on their A game. And again, this is not to put all of the responsibility on the frontline ride ops. This is to put the responsibility on the parks, which is honestly, or on the industry, which is honestly where it belongs and hope that they will evaluate this and make some changes and not just slap the one person on the hand who who made this yeah. literally fatal error. Yeah. Okay, well, speaking of uh, structural changes, <laughs> uh, so there was a lot of um, violence this uh, past week. Good grief. So two, there was basically, there's big violence at two Six Flags parks. And the first was at Six Flags America. I think that's the one that got the most traction. And I will read the excerpt here. Uh, after a chaotic night of violence at Six Flags America in Bowie on Saturday, Prince George's County Police are still investigating the full circumstances of the incident, and park officials have scaled back operating hours. Um, no arrests have been made, which is, I think, the thing that is um, very interesting to a lot of people because these, yeah, it, there's a lot of people involved in these fights, and, it, and the videos are kind of crazy, and no arrests have been made. So I'm not sure. Yeah, it's an interesting piece about it. But anyway, I think that what, what the park was response to this was interesting. Six Flags America is scaling back hours during its Halloween events. And let's see, it prompted the park to close an hour early on the night in question. And the park said it will begin closing its gates at 9 p.m. <laughs> news outlets reported patrons won't be allowed to re-enter the park after 6 p.m. with no new entries will be allowed after 7 p.m. So basically they're going to close at 9. Nobody new can come in after 7. And then if you can't come back in, it past six so it, it's it's a it's a and that's a that's a quite a large reduction of the operating hours of this and that's quite a different series of policies and i'm going to pair that with um another six flags um and this one is um at six flags discovery kingdom in california and basically witness recounts massive brawl involving a hundred kids at six flags and in this one Many were detained and one person was put in custody after their parents are handed a citation. And in addition to 
blah, blah, blah measures that the park said. So basically the park said, we will continue to do things that are both seen and unseen, like period. I'm like, okay, all right. Um, and then they added, um, the park will continue to close for entry two hours prior to park closing with no re-entry three hours prior to closing. So it's like the same policy. And I feel like it's almost the same statement. They just cut and pasted it from one location to another. And I'm like, okay, I guess that's one way to um, to scale your your approach. Well, I so I'm... I have, I'm, yep. um, so I have, I have so many questions about this story. And again, I'm not, I'm not taking pot shots at Six Flags. So I hope nobody, in, nobody interprets it this way. I question if there were, if indeed the information that we are receiving here is true. And so many people were involved, why there weren't more arrests made. Um, again, 20 years in a theme park and during a Halloween event, Without any sort of major incident like this, their arrests were not uncommon. Let's put it that way. Um, for heinous crimes uh, that took place on property, arrests were not uncommon. Um, and at the very least, you know, they were escorted off property and and banned from the property for 90 days, which basically took them to the end of the event. Um, so that's my first sort of what no arrests were made uh, my second is um i'm surprised they allow re-entry at all i'm surprised they ever allowed re-entry um especially considering that six flags events and this is a gross overstatement but generally speaking six flags events especially halloween events target an underage crowd so they're not able to to buy alcohol so therefore they run out to their cars or their friends cars and do what teenagers do um i know what that used to be when i was a teenager but i don't know what that is now so i you know who knows um but whatever whatever altering substances that they may want to make their event more exciting or more uh, uh intense that happens so Again, I, I've never worked. I've never worked in a park where they allowed re-entry. Period for an after-hours event. So the fact that they're doing that now is, I think, a step in the right direction. I mean, I will give them kudos for that. Um, I'm surprised that wasn't the policy to begin with. Well, it's just a huge deviation because, well, maybe not. I mean, just I think a lot of people are used to the universal thing, which is come in and out whenever you want. And same with Disney. You know, same with the. You know, the, it's. And maybe it's exactly to your point. It is that um, the Six Flags events or, and some of these events are geared to a, a different age demographic. And, you know, Universal tends to be higher and Disney tends to be families, right? So they're different. Well, look the, look, and look at the price points. Look at the yes. price points of those events. You know, yeah. um, they, they, they are significantly higher priced events, number one. Yeah. Number two, uh, Universal, certainly Universal in Orlando, if you decide you want to go back to your car, you're gone for an hour. Because by the time you get out, go all the way through City Walk, get out to your car in the parking garage, do whatever it is you're going to do back there, then come back through, go back through security because you have to do that again. Um, yeah. You know, I'll, I'll just say sometimes I have done that. Sometimes I show up. I've shown up at the one in Orlando and the one here in Hollywood, maybe like 1 a.m. <laughs> to, to try and catch when when the lines are finally, you know, manageable because I don't like to right. wait more than 10 minutes because I'm a diva that way when it comes to um, mazes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but, but anyway, I think that the, the whole idea of, of 
violence, you know, and I, and I don't just want to pick on the Six Flags parks because they're not alone. It does happen. Um, you know, we always used to say that when you've got when you've got a, a haunted attraction or a Halloween event that is scary, you're taking people, uh, hyping them up, building up their anticipation, in many cases, uh, selling them alcohol, then scaring them. If you don't expect there to be some sort of repercussion from that, you're foolish. Um, so I, I think the best the best defense is a good offense, you know, be prepared, um, find ways to, to, uh, not encourage this kind of behavior, which is hard in a haunted attraction. You know, it's, it's like uh, haunt 101 or old, what I'll call old school haunt 101 is let's put big aggressive dudes with chainsaws running around. Yeah. Yeah. And what, you know, what does that encourage? That encourages people to feel like they, they need to fight and, and, and Um, unfortunately, I also think in some of these cases, the reason they go to these events is not to experience the Halloween event. It is to get into a fight that or, or just, you know, to go like a mall, like hang out or there's so many varied, like to your point, there is varied uh, things on it. Um, it, but it, it, and it can get very chaotic. I I think the overall takeaway for the listeners is like, now is definitely the time to re-examine your policies and it might be it's okay to lean a little bit more in the um aggressive preemptive direction uh because there's there's something in the air definitely i i you know i i don't think it's just the six flags parks i think it maybe it's because they are it's it's like whatever the mainstream news latches on they like to latch on to the parks because everyone they they love to make theme parks seem like the bad guys in all these situations unsafe and i you know i think um just like the stabbing last week it's like oh my god stabbing it's actually a cut that did not require medical attention but um these are gonna all add up and we're gonna definitely next week and the week after we're gonna hit like a fever pitch of um you know haunted attractions halloween events are unsafe which is what happened well, here. And and to your point again to reinforce that this is nothing new. You know, yeah. there have been there have been fights breaking out, you know, I can remember they even say me. that though in the news articles like this is nothing new at this location in 2014 but, we had XYZ. Nothing, nothing new at all locations. I can remember I can remember going to um a park in Virginia uh that not not one that I worked at. Uh back you know 20 years ago and having to go through a metal detector to go into an after hours event and, you know, being wanted and patted down and all that sort of hoo-ha to make sure that I wasn't carrying any sort of weapons that would do, would do major damage. So again, this is nothing new, but it is something that we need to take seriously. And and when you say, you know, go back to one of the, one of the things that they've done is by shortening their hours, you know, I know that's a big chunk and everybody's going, well, that's going to be financially, destructive to them what's more financially destructive to them is one major lawsuit and the amount of money that they are losing uh by closing three hours or two hours earlier um is significantly less than the amount of money they would be losing in just one major lawsuit so and i I was going to add on to this the way the reason we put these together is it's synergistic with the concept that we mentioned at the top of the show, which is in the training and the compensation and pain and and valuing the frontline staff. You know, the the the, the people at the parking attendants and the people that are they're checking the tickets. That's your first line of defense to stop this stuff and to draw alert. And the more trained they are to be able to look out for this stuff, and the more preemptive measures you put in place, the better it's going to make the experience for everybody inside of it. And you know, I was at I I went to a Six Flags and. Yikes! That's all I have to say about the frontline staff. Just to- let's not not checking anything, not even paying attention. Just 
completely over it. You know, um, I don't even know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so I'm just, you know, I'm just saying just in, in that we talked about the right operators where people perceive them at like the bottom of the totem pole, but they actually do something very safe. People that are your first line of defense and your first contact point at these attractions uh, are equally in that position and they have the opportunity to watch out for things and to help shape the guests that are coming in. In so a nutshell, anyway. <laughs> in a nutshell <clears throat> don't think about it as fill, putting a body in that position. Fill yes. a Think about it as getting the job done that needs to be done. So, okay. And, and continuing speaking on this. Being preemptive. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of being preemptive, that's a good one. Um, Valley Fair is not allowing any bags this year. <laughs> so guests may not bring bags of any kind, including purses, backpacks, or diaper bags into the park during Halloween haunt after 6 p.m. Note, guests who require health accommodations may bring a bag no larger than four and a half inches by six and a half inches containing only medically necessary items into the parks. All bags will be searched prior to entry. Ooh. So preemptive. I mean, you know, good, good, well, again, good on these them. Measures, these, measures would, would not, these measures would not be taken if they didn't feel there was a reason to take them. Yeah. You know, and we've just reported with a fight of, you know, as the witness said, 100 kids. <laughs> Um, the last thing you need is one with a gun in that yep. hundred kids. And we have another catastrophe on our hands and a, a much greater catastrophe on our hands. So again, I think it is, there's a part of me that, that just, this turns my stomach because I think it's unfortunate that it's necessary, but there's a much larger part of me that says, because it is necessary, taking the responsibility to do it is only going to keep park goers safer and it's going to help the parks in the long run okay well speaking about i guess keeping parks safer i don't know is that the good okay so this that's, next story is best segue you've done philip but it's a good one it'll it's work fine well it's better yeah. okay so we have an update on the restrictions coming into the la county we mentioned previously you know some of that was going on but basically they've come to like a a, a middle ground on what's going to happen. Um, a workable ground. Let's put it that way. It is a yes. workable ground. Yeah. So uh, theme parks in the county, along with an industry association, that might have been IAPA, uh, expressed concerns about the requirement, contending that they had limited staffing to check for required documentation, both the vaccine testing, verification, and photo ID, potentially leading to long lines for admissions into the parks. The county agreed to delay the photo ID requirement for people aged 18 and over until November 1st. So basically until after the Halloween events, um, although people will still have to provide vaccination testing verification beginning October 7th. The county also removed the requirement that patients age 17 and younger provide a photo ID along with their vaccination testing verification. And then two interesting notes. Um, one supervisor whose district includes Magic Mountain, said she sympathized with the park and its concerns about implementing the county's restrictions, which go beyond those mandated by the state. She said that the requirement took Six Flags by surprise, Scott, and urged them to work more closely with industries that may be impacted. And uh, the second supervisor, uh, which is the Universal Studios supervisor, said she is a lot less patient with the businesses that have complained that they didn't see this coming and, so, and were so blindsided. <laughs> Oh God. Oh, Six Flags. This is not, a, I just say it's not a good look for Six Flags coming from two violent outbreaks at a different part. And then just like, we were so blind. What do you mean health? What? So Six as you flags. know, I'm to, as you know, I'm coming to you from a, a um, hotel room in Philadelphia. And earlier today I went to the, the Mütter Museum, which is uh, a museum of, um, 
medical, basically medical history and a lot of like wonderfully creepy Halloweeny sort of specimens and that sort of thing. But they have a special exhibit um, that is all about a pandemic that took place a hundred years ago. Um, it was the Spanish flu. And they're, they're making comparisons to that and this. So anyone who says that they were taken by surprise, there are doctors. I read statements from doctors that in 2015 said, we are going to have another respiratory pandemic in the world starting within the next three years. So it was predicted four years before it even popped up. So anyone who says they weren't prepared, and even, you know, even if you're not watching doctors, listening to what doctors are saying, um, it's been two full years now since it popped its ugly head. And we, you know, we saw the the little, you know, pokey graphic on the news of the, the, the COVID virus. Uh, no, you can't be surprised. If you are surprised, you're doing bad business. Um, so, uh, but again, I want to clarify, it was not Six Flags that said necessarily it took them by surprise. That's it correct. Was, it was the um, the the district the, the, the supervisor, supervisor, yeah, yeah, who said for it, for it, that area. Surprise! So um, again, yes. yes, she said it took six eyes by surprise. Surprise, right. did so that is right. correct, but still not a great look. Where you're like three, basically this, and then two other incidents at Six Flags Parks in the same week is not a great look, but. But I, I don't know. I, I, there's not too much belatering on this. You know, we don't need to go into it other than everyone else listening. You all need to, you know, be aware, be prepared um, for this potentially to roll out in, in certain other areas for events. And, and this, um, this also suggests that have several plans, have several plans yeah. that you are lining up in parallel because you never know where that that needle is going to go and what you're going to need to do. And you can't be surprised. You know, you've got to be ready with with multiple options and you need to. I mean, that is the very first thing that they hammered into our heads when we were talking about post-crisis leadership. You have to have multiple supply chains, multiple plans of attack, because you never know exactly where the, the pandemic is going to turn. And everybody wants to say, well, it's clearly not real because people keep changing their minds. But that's because there's more information coming, yeah, and that's because you start to you start to uh, put into action some of the original plans, like in like this particular story. It's discovered that it's too difficult, and it doesn't actually happen. So you know, I, I think that we need to continue to be flexible and continue to have multiple ways to you know figure out how to how to get over this challenge. So. An interesting. So the next story here is is kind of related, but the 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 way. So this is a, a study that came out, and the way that it was kind of picked up by the media is with the tagline that study shows unvaccinated people more likely to visit theme parks. So I and I, I kind of think that was in direct relation to the policies that these parks are putting out, and then you know they wrote this headline, which is unvaccinated people are the people that are more likely to visit theme parks. And um, so I just want to dig in because it's not, I feel like that's not the takeaway from the actual study. Um, and I want to give some caveats, but just really quick, the um, the co-author of the study did sit down with an interview with the points guy, which is a big travel conglomerate. And uh, they summarized that unvaccinated families are less likely to be deterred by crowds, which may play a role. They are also more likely to feel that health restrictions aren't necessary or overblown and express frustrations over the many attraction closures COVID has caused. Um, so that's just her, again, again, 
there was no like correlation in the actual study. So we don't know, like we didn't, they didn't ask the people what X, Y, Z. And also in the study, uh, let me read here. So only respondents who were over the age of 18 and who had children 26 years of age or younger were eligible to take the study. And the total number was only 2,365. So it's not that many people, A. And B, um, it's families. And there's a huge chunk of families that can't get vaccinated, which are the ones with kids 12 and under, right? So that kind of, I think that kind of skews the the data in that, you know, it's not necessarily like, quote unquote, unvaccinated. Uh, an unvaccinated family could mean two parents who are vaccinated and even one child that is under 12 that cannot be vaccinated yet. So that's what it could mean for this. So um, the next thing I want to point out is that the vast majority of people in this uh, survey were educated white females aged 30 to 44. Okay. And then 22% have household income of 100,000 to 150,000, which is above the median. So it's definitely a, a, a certain demographic. It's definitely like the family people that would be going to like Universal or Disney, I think, because it's that higher end. Um, and, and definitely like vastly Caucasian, vastly female. So just take all that. Um, I think that the bigger byline should have been that 88% of the people that they surveyed uh, plan to travel with their children in the next 12 months, which is basically a online with the 2017 numbers, which again tracks what we discussed last week about the TEA survey, which is that we're not yet to that rebound because 2019 was like a, a sustained peak, you know, in, in tourism and then pandemic. And so it's like, we're at like 2017 within the next 12 months. So still like a delayed response. Um, and then cancellation policies are really important to them. 52% say they're gonna do a multi-generational trip and 51% say to theme parks. When uh, most of them said summer 2022 <laughs> and then it was fall 2021. So like not this fall, you know, um, affordability is still a huge concern for all these people, even though most of them make higher than the uh, medium income. And then, um, they're kind of split on whether or not they care about vaccine passports. 53% agree and 28% strongly disagree. And for 42%, they're just like, uh, could be deterrence. And then the last really big takeaway I think for us is that, um, on their wish list of what they want to see, the top thing, despite what we've said, is still hygiene. Theory. It's still that like visible cleaning of common areas and often touched surfaces, um, despite that it's kind of like that. And the next thing is that they just want to know, honestly, from people what stuff is going to be available and what stuff is not going to be available and what the regulations are. So like, even if they don't agree with it, and they are not, whatever, they just, they want to know, like, they want to be like, tell us if we're going to have to wear a mask and show proof of vaccination when we show up to your park and tell us if anything is closed so that we know. And that sounds remarkably familiar because we've said the same thing probably for the last year. Communicate. Um, <laughs> communicate <laughs> up front so your guests don't show up and can't get in. So yeah, it's a very, it's a very interesting study. And, and I think that it just once again, reinforces communicate, 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 because there's still enough people who are all over the place. Uh, if you, if you require masks, if you have a mask mandate, it is not going to shut you down. People are not going to pick at the front of your attraction. Um, there are just as many people who are, who are going because of that. So Keep that in mind. Well, this has kind of been a downer episode, I'm going to be honest, because we've talked a lot about fights and, and pandemic and blah, 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 blah. 
But we can't ignore the big elephant in the room or the big mouse in the room, as we should say. Uh, Walt Disney World is celebrating its 50th, and um, a bunch of people are really excited about that. And I know that there's some people who've already experienced it and are having a great time. And, uh, and they're continuing to buy their magic bands, which have been upgraded now um, to not only uh, do all the things they've always done, but to also now uh, give some additional guest interactions, guest activations, which is, is super fun and cool. So I know a lot of people have been talking about that. We felt that we needed to at least make mention of it. But because of the focus of our show, we wanted to talk about things that were more important and more intensely um, actionable inside the industry itself. So that's why we wanted to just say, first of all, happy birthday, Walt Disney World, happy 50th. And uh, and we're really excited. Um, I'm going to actually pop back into the Disney parks for a while. I haven't done that in many years, so I'm very excited. Um, I'm gonna do that hopefully early next year, because let's face it, they're single year events usually transition for about six years. So um, so I'll be in there probably in the middle of it. But we are out of time once again for this week. So until next time, this is Scott Swenson from Scott Swenson Creative Development and Philip Hernandez from Gantam Lighting and the Haunted Attraction Network uh, with Green Tag Theme Park and 30 saying we will see you next week. This is a Haunted Attraction Network.